0: The following sermon by Pastor Rick Holland is brought to you by Mission Road Bible Church. For more information, visit MissionRoadBibleChurch.com. Well, we return in our study of Deuteronomy to the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5. I'd ask you to take your Bibles and turn there. And specifically, we're going to be looking tonight at the Third Commandment. There are some texts in the pages of Scripture that have an interpretation that has become really the subject more of folklore than of biblical hermeneutics. For example, people think they know what they mean, and an attribution has been given to these texts that really have no meaning and no rooting and no significance in what the text actually means. For example, we know well that Jesus said, after Peter confessed that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God, that Jesus said... On this rock I will build my church, which has been wrongly interpreted by the Catholic Church as the Catholic Church, on Peter himself, which actually means the confession of what Peter was saying, that Christ is the Messiah, that Jesus was the one from Nazareth and from heaven. We also know in Matthew 18 that uh, the text says, where two or three are gathered, there I am in their midst, and we apply that sometimes to our prayer meetings. Actually, that has to do with church discipline. That's not what you want to quote at your prayer meetings unless someone is in unrepentant sin. Because Jesus is everywhere. Does that mean you can't pray if there's not more than two or three? Then there's Revelation 3, where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and whoever lets me in, I will sup with him and he with me. And we, we use that as a salvation verse. It's actually about knocking on the door of a church, which should have been under his judgment. It's easy for folklore to kind of come in and not accurate translation, not accurate interpretation, rather, to supersede what the text actually means. Such is the case tonight in the third commandment. There's a lot of folklore that goes around this text, which actually only goes back about a century. You can't find any understanding of an interpretation of this text as has been propagated in our day beyond uh, 1900 or so. Let's just read it to set our our um, mind on this third commandment deuteronomy 5 verse 11 you shall not take the name of the lord your god in vain for the lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vanity or in vain We began looking at the Ten Commandments with an overarching hermeneutical principle of interpretation that looks at these commandments all as statements, as commands that are intended to teach us how to die to self and protect the rights of everyone around us. The first four commandments have to do with protecting God's rights to the definition of his self, his name, his image, and his requirements. The last six have to do with protecting the rights of everyone around us. You shall have no other gods before me. That's God's right to exclusive allegiance. Don't make for yourself an idol. That's God's right to define his own image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That's going to come in a minute. You shall uh, shall remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's God's right to tell his creatures whatever he wants to do on whatever day he wants them to do it. You shall honor your father and mother. That's the rights of parents to respect. You shall not murder, that's the right of others to life. You shall not commit adultery, that's the right of others to a pure marriage. You shall not steal, that's the right of others to have secure property. You shall not have a false witness against your neighbor, that's the right of others to a fair reputation. And you shall not covet your neighbor's stuff, that's the right of others to security. In other words, each of these commandments is designed to protect and promote the rights of God and others. Said another way, this is Jesus' explanation of what it means to love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. <coughs> Jesus said that's the essence of the gospel, dying to self and loving God and loving others. And the Ten Commandments embody those two summaries that our Lord himself gave. When you come to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 11, though, This also is in the vein of protecting someone else. And this is protecting something with regard to God and his reputation. My wife and I, Kim, were deciding on the name that we wanted to name our first child, Luke. And um, we didn't know, we actually didn't peak. We didn't know it was going to be a boy. Uh, When Luke came into the world, the doctor or the nurse who actually delivered Luke, that's another story because the doctor didn't make it because he was in a hurry to come. But that's for another time. <coughs> the nurse, um, you know, began tending to the little newborn. And we were, our, our, we were saying, what is it, what is it? And, and she said, there's nothing wrong. And he said, no, what is it? Like, we found out he was a boy. So it took a few minutes for us to even figure that out. That's the way they did it in the old days. Before that, though, we had a significant discussion Um about naming our first child. I had a really cool name that I wanted and she said, over my dead body. That was the kind way. She had a name that she wanted and I said, absolutely not. The reason I wouldn't accept the name that she wanted was because there was this guy in high school. And and actually, there's somebody in this room who has his name. I like you. I just want you to know that. But every time I heard that name, I thought of this guy and he was a loser jerk with a capital L. I just want to tell you, I and I could not stand the thought of my child bearing the name of this guy. Just makes me mad to think about him now. <clears throat> I dug my heels in. I said, honey, not that name. And if you want to know what name that is, you can come and ask me afterwards if it's yours. The power of this guy's personality The memory of his character was all embedded and embodied in his name. In Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, Act 2, Scene 2, Romeo asks, What's in a name that which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet? That may be one of the most profound questions ever verbalized when you think about what he's asking The answer that Shakespeare puts in the rhetorical lips of Romeo is amazingly telling. Romeo says that a rose would smell just as sweet if it were called a scallion or a sandlot or an onion. It would still smell sweet. But in denying the power of the name of the rose, he actually makes the opposite point as well. The flower known as a rose is known by the name rose, so it would be difficult to identify what item smelled so good without that name? In other words, the smell and the name and the flower go together. Names are important, critically important, and you know that intuitively. The reason is they, ca- they, pow- they carry with them the power of reputation. Think of what associations come into your mind and how many levels of association come into your mind when I say these words. Florence Nightingale. Wonderful nurse, right? Tiger Woods, golfer and a man whose reputation has been smeared. Bill Clinton, Pearl Harbor, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Abraham Lincoln, Patrick Henry, Jim Elliott, Adolf Hitler. Judas Iscariot, and even Jesus Christ. The mere mention of those names brings a flood of reputational information into your mind. Names are associated with reputation, names are associated with character. In each of these cases, the simple mention of that name brings up opinions and attitudes and even emotions that frame a reputation that's been created by your mind with data that's been inputted into it over the years. The same is true, by the way, for you and your friends. We've talked about this before. Every time someone utters your name in a conversation, that brings a whole flood of understanding about who you are, what you believe, what you're like, if you're nice, if you're not. In the ancient Near East, names were given massive more importance than even they are today. Yes, they carried the idea of a reputation. To hear a name would all, always bring the, the history of understanding that person into the packaging of that name. But names were also windows into the soul. Parents would choose names for their children in the Old Testament that reflected their hopes for the characteristics they wanted to see the child develop. Many times the names were chosen were more hopeful than they were Prophetic. Sometimes the names were catastrophic. Remember the child named Ichavod, Ichabod. The glory has departed. In that context, we need to think about the name of God for a moment. No one gave God His name. Ever think about that? No one ever named God. When Moses encountered God in Exodus chapter three. What was important for him to figure out? You want me to send me, and they're going to want to know what? What's your name? What do we call you? God has many names in Scripture. He's called by several names Elohim in the Hebrew, meaning mighty one. El Shaddai, God Almighty, God of the hills. Adonai, meaning Lord. Kyrios in the New Testament, meaning Lord. Theos, meaning God Almighty. The name of God was often regarded as a st- extension or even a substitute for God himself. He exalted his name. He said, know my name and you know me, especially my personal name, which was given in Exodus chapter 3 to Moses, which is the, called the ineffable, the unspeakable tetragrammaton, four letters. yod he Waw, which is called Yahweh as best we can. We don't even have the vowel markers in there. There was a whole history that came behind that name. People didn't even want to speak it. The Jews were so superstitious about it that they didn't, they didn't speak it. So they, would, they took those four letters and took the, the verbs from the uh, Hebrew word Adonai, stuck it all together, and came out with Jehovah. That was so that they wouldn't speak the name of God. God's covenant name was so precious in the Old Testament that it moved beyond reverence into kind of a reverential superstition. In later Old Testament generations, the name was uttered only once a year, and that by the high priest on the Day of Atonement. And when scribes would make copies of the law, they would come to the name Yahweh, they would stop, take a ceremonial bath, and come back to, it with, to the scroll with a brand new unused quill. <coughs> with such reverence in mind, the words of Deuteronomy chapter five, eleven, the third commandment should come as no surprise. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in a vain way, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. What I want to do this evening is tackle the meaning of this text and draw some simple implications and applications. First of all, let's kind of dive into it. The, 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 let's look at the sense of this Hebrew, which is translated, you shall not, which is really better translated, you shall never. Don't ever do this. Next, notice the word name, Shem in the Hebrew, specifically the name of Yahweh. But in general, any name that references the true and living God, any of God's names must be honored, blessed, praised, celebrated, invoked, pronounced, and so shared. Shared. Now, if you think back to Exodus chapter 3 for a moment, you'll you'll remember the context. God said, Yahweh, which is really a verb, means I am who I am. I I am. I'm the eternal present tense. I always was, I am, I always will be. Self-existence, eternality, it cries out, I am the one who is, who will be. Notice the significance also of the phrase, the God of your fathers, This is the name that goes back in Exodus 3. I'm Yahweh, the God of your fathers, which says, I am the one that they were worshiping they did not understand until this revelation, which will finally be understood when God spoke in the language, Hebrews chapter 1 says, of his son. Now, the most important part of this verse, which has tripped people up for years, is this next uh, verb. It's the verb in the sentence. You shall not take. The Hebrew word is nasa. Now let me read you the definition and the dictionary, uh, the Hebrew dictionary for this word. Ready? To lift up, to raise, to carry, and especially to wear. Nowhere in the definition of the word nasa does it say to say. It doesn't say You shall not say the name of the Lord your God in vain. That came much later in biblical interpretation. Basically, in the generation before ours, it got popular. Mainly because people started speaking with God's name in a very derogatory way, and they retrofitted to apply this to that. Well, if that's not what it means, what does it mean? Well, look at the last verse, the last word, vain, without good reason. Don't carry, don't take, don't wear the Lord's name without a good reason. Don't do it in a vain way. Interestingly, commentators disagree and divided on the sense of application of this commandment going all the way back to the Reformation. The commandment is crouched in language that's deliberately chosen to be general and wide in its application showing a multitude of dimensions of misuse of God's name, Yahweh's name here. And the way language, the language of this commandment is formulated, it's allowed for several applications for abusing God's name. The Holy Spirit was intentionally broad here in speaking about using God's name in a vain way. Let me say it this way. The verb nasa, the verb take, simply has to do with advertising. You can translate it, you shall not advertise the Lord's name, announce where carry represent the Lord's name in vanity, in a vain way. It's become fashionable in our day to actually <clears throat> wear the tags of your clothes on the outside so everyone knows what it is. Now, those of you who are the younger generation don't really remember where this came from. There was a famous company that started this back in the 80s, uh, one of the first companies to start this, called Izod, and they had a little alligator, and in the, in the 80s, you guys remember, it was not cool to wear any kind of collar shirt unless it had an alligator, and that told everybody what kind it was. I remember my dad saying, why are they putting the tags on the outside? And I'm still wondering that today. Well, now it's become fashionable to wear the name of the company on the outside. Under Armour, Nike, Brooks, um, you name it. You can find a sweatshirt with that on there. Champion. You're advertising what the company is. That's the sense of this verb. You shall not advertise or wear for observation the Lord's name in a vain way. There's nothing about the Hebrew, frankly, there's nothing about the English that makes anyone read that at first blush and make it to mean cursing. Now, there are other verses for using God's name in that bad way. We can go to Ephesians 4. We can go uh, to see what the Lord said for the abundance of the heart that Matthew, uh, the mouth speaks. There are many verses that would prohibit using God's name in a foul, irreverent way. Plenty of verses Just not this one. In a broad sense, it could be doing that, but this is talking about simply this. Don't say, remember the original context with the Israelites, don't say you belong to Yahweh and then not act like it. That's the point. This is a lordship salvation verse. Don't take the name of the Lord, don't say that you belong to the Lord, and then live in a way that doesn't line up in parallel with that claim, that's what the point of the third commandment is. Live in a way that advertises the greatness of God by your life and your choices. So what does that mean in application? Let's, let's, let's dial this in. This is gonna be, uh, it's a real simple verb to understand, actually. Don't wear the name of the Lord in a vain way. Don't do it in a way that's not reverent. Don't let people think you're a Christian and then don't act like it in our vernacular, this side of the, of the New Testament. Don't say, I belong to the Lord and then not act like it. I've told you over and over probably the most horrific uh, encounter I had at McDonald's when I was working at McDonald's in high school that really sent me a few weeks later on a path to collide with the gospel and believe for the first time to submit my life to the Lord where that girl was closing one night at McDonald's and there was a girl who I wanted to ask out and I just said, hey, would you want to do something sometime? And she says to me, She says, well, you know what, Ricky, Um, that would be nice, but I'm a Christian, and I only go out with Christian guys. And I said, South Seminole Baptist Church, I am a Christian. I'm your guy. And then she says, really? There's nothing about your life that makes me think you're a Christian. I rocked my world. I had taken the Lord's name, I was wearing the Lord's name in vain. That haunted me until a few weeks later I was working at a YMCA and submitted my life to Christ, listening to a preacher on the radio talk about Christ's lordship. What does this mean? How can we apply this? Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Let me give you four ways, (coughs) excuse me, to advertise God's reputation four ways to advertise god's reputation that's going to be what the intent of this text is let's see how it applies as we ferret it out four ways to advertise god's reputation the first way is to advertise god's reputation with the allegiance of your life advertise god's reputation with the allegiance of your life when God spoke to the prophet Isaiah about the present and coming blessing of being a part of God's redeemed community, he gives an unmatched insight into the primary meaning of carrying, wearing, Nasa'ing the name of the Lord. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 44 for a moment. Isaiah 44. Very important parallel text. This is one you can write in the margin. Of Deuteronomy 5, if you want. Isaiah 44, verse 1 But now listen, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I've chosen. Thus says the Lord, who made you and formed you from the womb, who will help you. Do not fear, O Jacob, my servant, Jacob representing the, the nation of Israel. For you and Jeshurun, whom I've chosen, For I will pour out water on the thirsty and streams on the the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring, my blessing on your descendants. And they will spring up among the grass like poplars by streams of water. This one will say, look at this, I'm the Lord's. And that one will call on the name of Jacob. And another will write on his hand, here it is, belonging to Yahweh, belonging to The Lord. That's the advertisement. The phrase belonging to the Lord is literally translated to the Lord. The name of Israel would have actually been to the Lord. That was their name. That was their advertisement. That's what they wore as their reputation. They belonged to the Lord. In our vernacular, we're Christians, little Christs. Our lives should reflect. Allegiance to God in every area, in every dimension, in every expression. In our marriages, with our children, with our parents, with our co-workers, with our neighbors. The point here is don't say you're a believer unless you're willing to act like it. That's the point of the third commandment. It makes sense that that would be the point of the third commandment. He's just said exclusively worship me, have no idols, and make sure if you do so that people know you're attached to me. I have to tell you, every now and then when I feel my blood pressure is getting a little low, I turn on the Christian channel on the cable network in our house and just watch these people who are taking the Lord's name in a way that's vain. Vain means useless. It's just unworthy. Saying all kinds of doctrinal nonsense. Making God this magic genie that if you rub the magic lamp, you'll get anything you want. They are wearing the name of the Lord in blasphemy. They are wearing the name of the Lord in a way that's vanity, in a way that's vain. Here's the deal. If it bears his name, it's worth our best. And if we bear his name, it's worth the best efforts in our life to represent him. A believer, in his life, everything bears the name of Christ. Those who have experienced God's grace should take seriously how his name is carried around in our lives. What is the allegiance of our lives? Are we taking, carrying, wearing the name of the Lord in a way that's just flippant, in a way that's invaluable? Let's look at a second application here. We advertise God's reputation, secondly, with the power of our integrity. With the power of our integrity. One of the most important principles of interpretation is to ask, what do you, did the original hearers think when they heard this the first time, right? That's called authorial intent. What did the author mean to the original hearers? What did that mean? What did they think when they heard the words of this scripture the first time? It's impossible to interview every one of these ancient Israelites. They are all dead. But we do find some interesting data in, in other passages that indicates, at that time of the writing of Deuteronomy at least, what the term in vain meant. It was actually a synonym with swearing falsely. In other words, you would give an oath or a promise and appeal to the name and character of your God or of Yahweh in this case to give credibility to what you were saying. You hear people doing this today, saying things like, um, with God is my witness, I swear on a stack of Bibles as if one wasn't enough, the problem, by the way, with invoking God's reputation is very dangerous on a number of levels. I would even say it goes to the Catholic practice of making a cross on yourself before you do something. What are you now advertising? What if you aren't telling the truth when you swear on a stack of Bibles? What if you were wrong in the most minutest, minute place what if what if you're telling the truth at the time but you're you change your mind later what if it's not exactly what you intended to be well now you've not just messed with your reputation but with the one by whose name you swore the issue is that god's name is used for personal gain god's name is taken in vain for personal profit Leviticus 19, 12 says, and you shall not swear falsely by my name so as to profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Even later in scripture, the idiom is used in reference to swearing falsely by swearing in a vain way in Hosea 4 and Psalm 24. But under the new covenant, James nails this concept to our integrity with this word, these words. Listen to what he says. James 5, 12. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or earth or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no no, so that you may not fall under judgment. He's saying, Listen, just be a man or woman of integrity. Wear God's name and integrity, and you won't have to beg his name to prove your credibility. Here's the deal. Typically when people have to say things like, I swear on a stack of Bibles. Uh, I call God as my witness. That's because they have a trajectory of integrity that begs external credibility. James is saying, no, just say yes and let it be yes and just say no and let it be no and leave the rest up to the judgment of God. Just be someone who wears God's name, who bears his reputation and then let him deal with the rest. I mean, think of this. Jesus was falsely accused and never gave a defense for himself. Isn't that amazing? He was accused of all sorts of insurrection and when it came time for him to give a defense, he just said, no, not a word. As a sheep led to the slaughter, he was silent before the shearer. Why? Why? his yes was yes and his no was no. He didn't have to say, uh, do you guys not know I'm the son of God? Uh, can, can I call? No, his yes was yes and his no was no. It is ours. Do we wear the name of the Lord with such integrity that we don't need to call in the higher accountability of God to prove what we're trying to, the point we're trying to make? The problem is when the name of God is specifically referred to to improve our integrity, our integrity needs to be improved. Don't try to improve your integrity with God's name. By the way, <coughs> this does not prohibit the swearing on a Bible in court. That's the way our laws work. I had to testify in a, in a deposition uh, a few months ago and did that, and it I wasn't swearing by anything. That was just their way of saying, will you tell the truth? Um, it's common to every. They even ask unbelievers to do that. So if you're, if you're called into that situation and you don't have time to explain what you believe about that, just say, I'll tell the truth and move on. Thirdly, you advertise the reputation with the allegiance of your life. Advertise God's reputation with the power of your integrity. Thirdly, advertise God's reputation with the purity of your Of your language. Let me lend some credibility to that interpretation that talks about using God's name in a in a vain way, in the typical cultural sense. As someone has put it so well, profanity is the language of the inarticulate. I love that. And using the name of the Lord in a profane way or in the context of profanity is the language of the damned. Not just specific use of God's name in vain, but the irreverence of it that's used as well. We are a generation of Bart Simpson whose grace before a meal goes something like this. This was his prayer before the meal. We made all this stuff, so thanks for nothing, God. Amen. That's the cultural icon and hero of our generation. Such disrespect of God with the lips is taking his name in a vain way, but not by people who are taking his name, should be taking and wearing his name. This is the usual application of the third commandment. It's indeed applied, implied from the Hebrew and English language, but it's a it's a way far down the road application. I know there are some evangelistic strategies which basically say, have you ever taken God's name in vain by said Jesus in an irreverent way or or used the, the term G D. We know what those those stand for in a, in a in a vain way. And they say, well now you're guilty before God. Well of course you are but there are other ways to get there besides misinterpreting the third commandment. That's just not what it means. We ought to be those who understand and apply right biblical interpretation. The specific sin is uttering the Lord's name, the specific sin, rather, of uttering the Lord's name uh, in a way uh, is not exactly what's in view here, but there are ways that it applies to a Christian. I'm not concerned if an unbeliever uses the name Jesus in a bad way. I'm not concerned if an unbeliever uses the term God in a bad way. That's just the fruit, that's not the root. To get them to stop cussing doesn't keep them out of hell. To get them to stop using God's name in a vain way doesn't keep them out of hell. There are bigger issues, but I'm very concerned about the way Christians use the name of God when we should be wearing it in a way that has integrity. Saying the term God as a exasperated expression. When frustrated, having anxiety, anger, anytime we're not thinking of his holiness and his honor, that's taking his name as a believer in a vain way. Can I say in this? See, there's saying, oh my God. That can be said in a bad way. That can be said in a prayer in a very reverential way. Oh my God, please help me. But if it's just, oh, my God, in an irreverential way, irreverent way, as the believer, that's the problem. It's not an issue with the way the world uses that. What do you expect them to do? Give honor and glory to our God? They can't. It's not in their nature. But a believer can mitigate his use of God's name in a vanity way, saying Jesus Christ in a way that's not prayerful or reverent hit your thumb with a hammer and you say, Jesus Christ, unless you're saying, please heal my thumb, be careful. And can I just get a little little persnickety for a second? Do you understand why the terms gosh, golly, gosh darn, and gee whiz, you know where those came from? Uh, uh, One commentator called those Christian cussing. It's a way to almost say, god's name but not just be careful Uh, i i have said things in the past that some of my kids have said dad did you say what i think you said and i said no and they said well it sure sounded like that there's got to be a better way to express what we're trying to express without coming as close to these words uh, that that sound like the name of god how about this ouch Isn't it funny, by the way, that no one ever says, Buddha, Muhammad. Some try to inflate their image with God's name. The use of God's precious name is invoked invoked as an expletive, even a curse word. I'm not concerned with the world doing that. They're going to. Our mission is not the purification of the world's language. That's not our mission. Our mission is to see souls saved by the grace of God. But the issue is, if we say we represent God and we use his name from a believer's lips, this isn't a way to evangelize an unbeliever. It's a way to confront a believer. Fourthly, advertise God's reputation with the motivation of your fear. With The motivation of your fear. Look at the last part of the verse. For the Lord will not leave him unpunished. Literally, he won't put him in a position of guiltlessness. He won't exonerate him who takes his name in vain. Why are believers to honor the Lord with how we use his name simple? Because he's so serious about it that he promises judgment to those who misuse his name. How can you misuse God's name? Listen, let me say it again. If an unbeliever says words that, the, uh, says God's name in ways with words that don't honor him, that's what unbelievers do. This is talking about someone who says they belong to God, but then doesn't represent it. He says, I won't leave that person unpunished. Don't say you belong to me and not act like it. That's the essence of the third commandment. There's a motivation of fear here, a threat of judgment. It follows closely on the heels of the second commandment, by the way, which promises judgment for those who make graven images of God. This is the same promise of judgment. Hence, the misuse and abuse of the Lord's name is so serious as to make him an idol in our language, just something we can use. For our own benefit. Here we come to the fear of God. We're going to come back to this over and over in the, in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, why should we fear God? Because he's a God who judges. That's why. This is supposed to be a fearful motivation. Don't do this or you'll be judged. Why do we fear God? Because God's a threat. And even after we come to Christ and we're safe from that threat, we still know that he's the threat. The gospel covers our sin, but God is still the judge. We should all fear misrepresenting him. Have you ever been in a position where you saw someone who says that they, they know Christ, but in New Testament terms, and then someone sees them act in a way that's, entirely outside of the pages of Scripture and brings into question that reputation? Maybe that's happened to you before, like it did in McDonald's when I wasn't even a believer. Do you wear God's name? Do you advertise God's name with integrity or with vanity? The word vain is, is very interesting. It just means irreverently, there for a moment gone. There for the moment of your own use and manipulation, but not in reverential service, wonder, worship and awe. Isn't it interesting when Jesus was asked by the disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. He underscored the importance of reverencing the name of God first. He says, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He wasn't just saying, let's say the name Jesus, Jesus, and sing it. And, and that, that's, a, that's for another time. It's great. I love doing that. What he's saying is, let your name be preserved by those who associate themselves with your name. Let it be honored. How do we know that? Because your kingdom come, your will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. Let us represent you. The, the Lord's Prayer could almost be called an exposition of the third commandment Hallowed be your name. Do we slander God's character by claiming a relationship with Him and living in a way that's less honorable than that claim? Students at high school, I mean, is this, is this an issue? Do, do people know that you're religious, that you're a Christian? Does it matter? Those of you in college, do do the students who who see you every semester and the classes change, do they understand who you are and that you are one of God's children? It would be impossible for the president of the United States children to go anywhere without being recognized by everyone as who they are and who their father is. It's the same idea here. Do we wear that name, the name Christian, the name of God, in a vain way? My uh, favorite Puritan writer is Thomas Watson. In fact, back to Luke's name, Luke is named Luke Thomas Holland uh, after Thomas Watson. The Puritan, one of the most descriptive writers I've ever read, he tells of a man who was dying. And Watson says, on his deathbed, his wife revealed to him that of his three sons, only one was really his. The man called the executors of his estate to his side and charged them all that all of his estate was to go only to his true son of those three. Watson writes, after the father died, the executors set up his corpse against a tree and gave each son a bow and a quiver of arrows. The sons were then told, whoever could shoot nearest the father's heart and the corpse could take the entire estate. The first two sons shot as near as they could to the heart, but the third could not bring himself to shoot at his father's dead body. The executors of the will knew immediately Watson says, this was the true son. He goes on to say in this account, such are the true children of God. They fear to shoot at him, but such as are not sons care not though they shoot him in heaven with their oaths and curses and abuses of his name. It's a simple application. Children of God can be clearly identified because they wear and carry the name of their heavenly father with honor and dignity and respect and reverence and holiness and divine pride that God is their God and that we are his children. Watson's story spoke of the dishonor of a dead man. How can we advertise our Lord by calling ourselves Christians, dishonor him with allegiance, integrity, lack of integrity, or a language or a motivation when God is alive? I mentioned it earlier, Acts chapter 11, a group of believers at Antioch advertised the name of God in Christ. Advertise the name of Christ. They wore the name of Christ so strategically, with such intensity, with such integrity, that they were actually called what? Little Christs. They act like Jesus. They look like Jesus. They talk like Jesus. They judge like Jesus. They're gracious like Jesus. They are little Christs. Hence the term Christians. The point of the third commandment is simply this. What? kind of advertisement are we who say we belong to the living God? Do we, here's the Hebrew word, nasa. do we wear, do we carry, do we advertise God's great name with integrity and with consistency? One more little footnote. This is not only with regards to the lost and dying world at home. The people who know us best see that the confession we make at church, the profession we make in the community, the announcements we make at parties and at get-togethers and at family reunions of extended family, that we are Christians, does that really get worn at home What kind of advertisement are we? That's the point of the third commandment. You should never take the name of the Lord your God, and for us that name is Jesus Christ, in a way that's unbecoming of him. Let's pray together. Father, we are waylaid by this passage because all of us can think of times and specific ways that we have dishonored you by saying and acting in ways, talking and acting in ways that, that just weren't commensurate with who you are, weren't consistent with the character of the one who's redeemed us. First, we say thank you for your grace and mercy that forgives those times. Make us aware that we wear your name like a jersey that we announce our allegiance being on your team, representatives of your name, especially as little Christs, as Christians. Turn this lesson into our lives. Help us to know the reputation that we have within our closest circle of friends and family, the reputation we have in our extended network has great gravity and comes under the scrutiny of your judgment with respect to how we wear and carry the great name of our God. Convict us and change us. Encourage us and motivate us. And make us to wear your name as a bright neon light that advertises your greatness in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a presentation of Mission Road Bible Church in Prairie Village, Kansas. For more information, visit missionroadbiblechurch.com.